nice uh, windy night down by the beach yesterday. Um, I don't know how We also had our, uh, our house alarm go off at about from 12 to 1.30, so uh, Jasmine lost a bit of sleep and isn't <laughs> feeling too well this morning, so she's home and would appreciate your prayers. But um, let's just pray again as we, as we come to the Word of God. Lord, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. God, I ask that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say to us, eyes to see what you're doing in our lives and in our communities. God, would you strengthen us? Um, Would you lift us up, as you said, on on wings? Um, Empower us by your spirit to hear your word, and to apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So Charles Dickens, uh, he, he begins the, the tale of two cities with one of the most memorable introductions in literature. He says, it was, it was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. And I'll, I'll confess, I haven't, I haven't actually read the tale of two cities, so don't go getting too uh, impressed, but I have started reading it, and um, when I read the introduction for the first time, I was, I was actually a little bit upset because it's, it's so much better than just this first line. Um, this novel that's set during the French Revolution, it's, its introduction is a bit longer and it goes like this. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. And what what he's trying to show in this introduction is that oftentimes our human inventions, our efforts in doing things are muddled. We get mixed results even at the best of times. And one line in particular stands out to me this week. He says, it was the season of light and it was the season of darkness. And this stands out because, you know, you can, you can have the best of times and the worst of times together. You can have despair and you can have hope in the same breath. We, we might even have belief and doubt and, and hold them together in our trembling hands. But you can never have darkness in the midst of light. Light always overcomes darkness. So if we were to take time to evaluate our lives today as though they were houses with with windows and closets and cabinets we would find that there are many places that that naturally lie in darkness we can also let things clutter up our lives just as they clutter up a garage or a closet secret sins attitudes that we've made acceptable all of these we can leave in dark places and forget about or or maybe we we purposefully hide them away what we need is for light to shine on our lives so that we can see what needs to be cleaned out. We need to open up the dark places of our lives. Excuse me, John. Yep. That's the story of the bed. Yeah. All good.
John says that God is working. Oh, there we go. Okay. John says that God is light. And this means that those who claim to know him and to have fellowship with him must think and live accordingly. If we truly know God, his light expels our darkness. If, if we know God, we will walk in the light. His light will shine on our lives and reveal our sin, even as, as it pushes back our darkness. In, in the letter of 1 John, John writes to his audience to correct some, some wayward thinking and to encourage those who believe the truth. In chapter 1, verse 5, he claims that God is light, and he uses this truth to correct um, the error of the people that he is um, talking against. So turn with me to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. We'll be reading through chapter 2, verse 2. Hear the word of the Lord. This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. God is light, and relationship with this perfect light demands that, that we live a shining life. For God to be light means that if we know him, our lives are brightly illuminated. This passage teaches us what it means for God to be light. This light calls us to walk in truth, and this light reveals our sin. If we know God, we ought to walk in this light with one another. When we sin and bring darkness into our lives, the light of Christ casts out this darkness. This light does not only reveal our sin, but it dispels the darkness of it. For God to be light means that we must live in the light. His perfect light demands that we live a shining life. If you've been with us the last few weeks as we've been going through 1 John, we've, we've seen that John writes because there are some in the community of his churches who are teaching doctrine that isn't consistent with the character of Christ. You know, we, we can't know very much about these opponents of John's because there isn't much uh, information available. There's just not enough data. And the things we know we have to reconstruct from the letters that we have. And so what we do is we can use the text of John as, as a kind of mirror, hoping to see in it a reflection of the problems that John faced. And 
In our passage today, John challenges five ideas. These ideas he challenges very likely originated with the people who opposed him. And we know from later in 1 John that these people denied that Jesus came in the flesh. And we can also see that they cast off all sorts of restraints on them and and didn't see themselves as accountable to the law um, or to um, the commands of Christ, even to any sort of ethical Christian code. Because of this, they, they claimed that they were free from sin. And this teaching is attractive. It, it still is today because, honestly, nobody likes to be told that they aren't measuring up or that they're doing something wrong. We, we can find these teachings today if we really want to. It Teachings that don't really ask much of us and let us just kind of live our own life. This is the kind of teaching that John writes to c- correct. These teachings that offer an, an easier Christianity that tells us that we're good just the way we are. No sin, no repentance, no pain. But John doesn't let us sit there. John writes to challenge this. And, and he challenges this with the claim that God is light. God's light pushes back darkness and reveals what has been hidden. In John's gospel, the, the light of God and the glory of God are, are parallel themes. God's glory has been connected with bright, shining light ever since Moses and the burning bush. Glory, God's glory shone on Moses' face after he went up on the mountain and received the law in the presence of God. In the same way, after speaking with God on the mountain, Jesus' face shone brightly. Even his clothes were transformed into a radiant white. Jesus himself will be the light in the new heavens and the new earth. There will be no need for sun or moon because God will be revealed as perfect, pure light. His glory is so pure that throughout Scripture, it is revealed to us as blinding light. In chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, John challenges these claims of his opponents. And, and he uses this truth that God is light to do so. He, he encourages his audience as he challenges these opponents. Because these, these opponents were making his church question their beliefs. How could normal, real Christians who struggle with sin claim to be in fellowship with perfect God when these, when these other Christians claimed that they had learned how not to sin. And if these Christians were able to live without sinning, what need then is there for Christ? To challenge these claims, John uses the idea that God is light. So he challenges the first one in, in verse 6. He, he challenges the claim that these opponents have some sort of deeper fellowship with God. He says, God is light. So if we claim we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. He tests these claims that they have to fellowship with God by their consistency with the character of God. As Christians, we are, we are at times very good at making claims to faith without allowing this faith to affect our lives. And if If you search through your New Testament, you you will find that this is a a perennial problem. Christians have always struggled to live out their faith. In in the writings of Paul and in James and now here in John, we can see that the, the authors of the New Testament often challenge us to take what we believe and to bring it to a, a tangible expression in our lives. The reason that this problem has been so prevalent among those who believe for 2,000 years is that living out our faith takes hard work. 
for something like faith, which seems like a steady and static part of our lives, to require hard work is not very intuitive. Faith seems like something that we gain rather than something that requires our everyday's attention. But in reality, faith is more like a muscle that you train than like the gym membership. Paul says in Philippians that we are to work out our faith in fear and in trembling. And this means that we take seriously the task of growing in godliness. We are to grow in our knowledge of the word of God and in our love for our brothers and sisters. We are, we are to, to grow in our knowledge of God and in our love for him. And for John, knowing and loving God is indicated by the way in which we live. The humility that Christ modeled is to be our model for life. The service which he gave should be our guide. As Christians, as those who walk in the light, we ought to be the most joyful, loving, and kind people. We ought to be beacons of light to those around us because God is light. I've, I've heard it said that the theology in Western countries can often be a thousand miles wide, but a centimeter deep. We can argue for hours. We can, we can break fellowship with one another over the exact order of end times events or some other piece of obscure theology. But John here does the opposite. He takes one simple truth and then he plums the depths of it for all that it's worth. For us, if we treat faith as a journey and not as a destination, as, as we move forwards, we, we will gain both a deeper knowledge of God and a stronger expression of this faith. Just like a gold mine, we, we ought to dig ever deeper into the depth of our great God. If you will take the time to plumb the depths of God's love, his mercy, his faithfulness, his goodness towards us, his, his holiness, you will find that you are as affected by the digging as you are by the fruit of your labor. Our relationship with God changes both our belief and our behavior. And the deeper that we dig, the, the higher that we climb, the longer that we walk with God, the more that we will know and look like him. John's second challenge flows out of the first. He says that if we walk in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. We said last week that one of the great mysteries and joys of, of the Christian's life is the connection that they have with others who believe. We can travel the world and still be united to others in Christ by our fellowship in him. Being joined to God means being joined to one another. It's kind of like marrying into a family and discovering that you now have in-laws. Now, one of mine is here today, so I can, I can just tell you that I have the best in-laws that you could possibly get. Um, but in the same way, we are connected to one another in Christ, whether we like it or not. If we are in Christ, we are united with one another. And when we walk in the light, our relationships with one another will be just one more place where the light of Christ shines out. Jesus said that the world would know that we are his by our love for one another. And here John says the same thing. So when we walk in the light, we not only have fellowship with God and with one another, but we are made right with God. John says at the end of verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, 
the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, for, for most of us today, we don't think of, of blood as making things clean. You know, we, we don't have a bottle of blood under the, under the sink next to our multi-purpose cleanser and our bleach. Um, but for John and his readers, talking about the blood of Christ making us clean is a reference back to the Old Testament sacrificial system and, and the way that sinful man was made right with God. If we go all the way back to God's covenant with Noah, when God said that the life is in the blood, ever since then, blood has played an extremely important part in ritual and religious practice. The life is in the blood. So when the high priest in the Old Testament, on one day of the year, went into the most holy place in the temple to make a sacrifice on behalf of all Israel, it was blood that he sprinkled on the, on the Ark of the Covenant to cleanse the entire nation. In the same way, Christ's blood was shed, and his blood cleanses us from our sin. If we walk in the light, his sacrifice is made good for us. If we live shining lives, we show that our faith is real. And now by, by grace, Jesus' sacrifice can be applied to us because of our faith. So here, here in the letter, we come to a kind of crossroads. John has said that, that God is light, and for God to be light means that those of us who know him, who claim to know him, must have fellowship with God, with one another, and we also know that we have been cleansed from sin. But we mentioned before that John's opponents claimed that their fellowship with God meant that they don't need to be cleansed from sin because their fellowship with God made them perfect. John challenges, his, challenges this again by drawing conclusions from the truth that, that God is light. So after these first two challenges, he brings three more against his opponents. And for us, this means that there are three more assurances to us that we are walking in the light. He first challenges their claim to some kind of sinless status. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. You see, if, if we know God, his light shines on our lives and forces us to reckon with our sin. John challenges the claim that we can conquer sin on our own or attain some kind of Christian perfection, even through the Spirit. Because if we are truly in the light, this light will shine on our sin. If we are truly in the light, it will force us to reckon with our own darkness. John says in verse 9 that we must acknowledge our sin. He says, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word here translated confess in verse 9 has an even more basic meaning than confession. At its, at its most simple, this word means to concede that something is factual or true. To, to concede or admit or to acknowledge that something is factual or true. Now, obviously, confession requires us to make this acknowledgement. But I think that here we should focus more on this basic definition. Because when we acknowledge our sin, we allow God's light, his truth, to define our lives and our actions. Our world largely does not believe in sin. Or if they do, it's, it's socially defined and socially maintained. But as those in the light, 
we are called to acknowledge God and his truth as the governing principle in our lives. So John says in this challenge that when we acknowledge sin, when we confess it to one another, there is a real result that takes place. When we acknowledge our sin, John says, Jesus forgives us. When we acknowledge our sin, Jesus cleanses us from our unrighteousness. When we acknowledge our sin, John says that he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. What John is not giving us here is some kind of formula for perfection or forgiveness through cheap confession. This phrase describes the result of our acknowledgement, but the, the result is not based on our confession, but on his character. It is because Christ is faithful and just that we are forgiven. To say this another way, if we acknowledge our sin, the faithful and just character of Christ results in our forgiveness. John's, John's third challenge to this second point, uh, so his fifth total, he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We cannot claim fellowship with God and live in darkness. His light requires us. It forces us to recognize our own darkness. God's perfect light demands that we live a shining life. Is there darkness in your life this week? Are there hidden sins, unchallenged attitudes that that keep you in a state of anger or self-pity or fear or doubt? When was the last time you let the light of Christ shine on every dark corner of your soul? Or are you keeping some things hidden away? I urge you to examine yourselves then. Let the light of Christ shine on you. Acknowledge your sin before God. Confess your sins to one another. The the call to confession here is an expression of our fellowship with one another. Let your brothers and sisters in Christ hear your confession of sin. Our acknowledgement of sin must go outside our own private prayer with the Lord because we've been given this fellowship with God and with one another. If we are walking in the light, that sheds light on our sin. We are a family in Christ. So acknowledge your sin before God and confess your sins to one another using discretion and let the work of Christ cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So after John presents these five challenges to his opponents in in chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, he turns in chapter 2 to address his flock. He calls them, my little children. And this shows what, what great affection he has for them in the Lord. He is as a father to them, and he cares for their growth and their maturity as a flock and as children of God. My little children, he says, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John says that as Christians, we ought not to sin. He says he he writes these things to us so that we may not sin. If we know the light, we are to walk in the light. If we love God, we are to love others. If we claim to have fellowship with God, we must have fellowship with one another. God's perfect light demands a shining life. 
John says that he writes so we may not sin. And not a single one of us here is walking perfectly in life. So John presents us with kind of a, a paradox. In fact, it's, it's a huge problem for us. John has just finished arguing that if any of us say we haven't sinned, we deceive ourselves and we make God a liar. He has, he has said emphatically that we cannot fix this problem ourselves because darkness isn't like light. You can't just turn the darkness switch off and take the darkness away. It's an absence of light. And without this light, we remain in darkness. Thankfully, John goes on. He says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the the propitiation, the sacrifice to God for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John presents us with a problem at the beginning of this verse. Those who know God should not sin, yet we all do. John lovingly also presents us with the solution. Those who know God are covered by the blood of Christ. Christ is the propitiation for our sins. This this word means that Christ is the way that we are connected to God. He is the way that our sins are dealt with. There is so much grace in the blood of Christ that he would shine light in our darkness. We could not cleanse ourselves, but he has washed us clean. We could not create light out of darkness, but he has shone into our hearts. In our sin, we could not have fellowship with God, but by his blood, Christ has made us one with the Father. That's what it means for him to make atonement. It's him making at-one-ment with the Father. Unfortunately, we were all raised in the darkness. And even, even in Christ, our tendency is to live the way that we want to. We treat our faith, our atonement, the blood of Christ, as though it were simply access into heaven. But John does not offer us this grace so that we might take it as if it was worth nothing just because it was free. There's a difference between a free sample and a gift. It doesn't matter if one of those falls on the floor. Um, The grace that is given in Christ is the most costly thing imaginable, even though it was free. But it is grace because it's free. We, We said last week that sin is no easy thing for those of us who believe because we are given an intimate fellowship with God. This week... I want to recognize that sin is no easy thing because it cost Christ his very life. This gift demands that we live according to its worth. God's light demands that we live a shining life. God is light, John says. This means that if we know him and we have fellowship with him, we must think and live like it. If we are in Christ, his light must expel our darkness. John says that if we know him, we must walk in the light, in fellowship with God and with one another. John says that if we know him, his light will shine on our sinful state and we will be forced to deal with our own sinful darkness. If we know him, because of his light, we will know both the extent of our sin and the length to which Christ has gone to get rid of it. We cannot live in light and walk in darkness. God's perfect light demands that we live a shining life. 
Do you still walk in darkness? Jesus has done something incredible. He has, he has offered himself for us. He has shined his light in our lives. If we go back to the beginning and, and we think of our lives as houses, all of us naturally live in four walls and half a roof deep in the bush. But Christ has come to our house and has freely built us a mansion in its place. He is our master electrician who has installed lights in every room of this house, of this life that we've been given. My challenge to to each of us this week is is to, number one, recognize that God is light. To recognize that Jesus Christ must shine in our hearts. After, after studying this passage this week, I've, I have determined to live in the light, like John says. I have made it my goal to memorize one verse of the Bible a day. It's a big, it's a big goal. Um, and I think of this as kind of like a light switch. If Jesus has installed electricity in every room of my broken down shack of a life, what good would it be if I left the lights off and stayed in darkness? So every day, I want to get up and I, want, and I want to flip the switch. I want to turn on the light that he has given to shine in my life. So for you, go, go home this week and set a goal. It could be a daily goal. It could be a weekly goal. It could be monthly. It, it doesn't really matter. But discipline yourself to do something regularly that flips the switch. Turn on the light. Do something that reminds you what Christ has done to shine in your life. God is light. And he has given us access to this light through our faith in Christ. His perfect, brilliant light demands that we live like shining lights. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we thank you that you, um, you who are light, stepped down um, and were, were clothed in flesh. You, you were made like us in every respect. You lived and you walked and you, you were tempted and you did not sin. You showed us how to live lights that shine. So God, I ask this week that you would, you would give us strength. Holy Spirit, would you inspire us and would you give us everything we need? Um, we, we know that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness, so help us to walk in that this week. Lord, let us be lights on a hill and help us to never, never burn out. We pray this in your name. Amen.